this is Nancy Yearout, and this is Nancy Psychic View on the High Road to Humanity. And I have two wonderful guests today. Bernard Heisch and Marcia Sims are here, and they've written this cool book. It's called The Miracle of Our Universe. And you guys, happy Halloween to everybody out there. It is the day that we celebrate the dead and people who have passed. And, you know, that's changed a lot, but that's why we did it originally. So we won't get into the whole history of it. But these guys are here um, because they've written this cool book and it's really about God. And it's really about energy, but it's a model of reality. They say they're not, um, we're not biologic machines, but we're rather conscious immortal beings who have co-created a virtual reality together with a great cosmic consciousness known as God. Now the root reality does not consist of physical stuff. They say the one and only thing that does exist in consciousness and its thoughts is our consciousness, our thoughts. We are literally part of God. And I have said this for a long time. Now they've put this book together as a joint effort. And um, I'm going to read their bios here in just a second. But I want to talk really quickly about what's going on around the world. You know, I did hear this morning that um, some of our bases in Iran were being attacked in the um, Middle East. And that is happening right now. And Netanyahu warns world, if Hamas wins, you're the next target. And you know what? I agree with that. And so it's really important that we support and we send prayers because the best thing we can do, and that's what we're going to talk about today is energy and the universe and how everything works. And it's prayers. It's the energy of our words, our thoughts that go out into the universe. You guys are really happy you're here today. Thank you. Yeah, we we wanted to counteract all the negativity with light. Oh, God bless. Yes. Love, love and light. Yes. Love and light. Yeah. And (laughs) that's what I've been telling everybody. You know, I go on, I do a news with Nancy. You probably don't know that. But I come on um, once a week and I talk about the power of prayer and the power of the spoken word and raising that vibration. Because if we can all raise the vibration, we can help. Now, these guys have really long bios, but I'm going to try to go through them and not take too long. But they're really important people, and I'm glad they're here. So Bernard Hash is an astrophysicist. He's the author of 130 scientific publications. After earning his PhD from the University of Wisconsin in Madison, he um, he did his postdoctoral research at the Joint Institute for Laboratories uh, Astrophysics at the University of Colorado at Boulder and the University of Utrecht, the Netherlands. Is that right, Utrecht? And, yes, and his professional positions include staff scientist at the Lockheed Martin Solar and astrophysics laboratory, deputy director of the Center for Extreme Ultraviolet Astrophysics at the University of California, Berkeley, and visiting scientist at the Max Planck Institute for Extraterrestrial Physics in Garching, Germany. <laughs> Extraterrestrial. <laughs> I was going to say, did I get that right? He was the <laughs> editor of the Astrophysical Journey for 10 years. Prior to his career in astrophysics, he was a student for the Catholic priesthood. Well, that's a real leap there, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, and Marcia Sims has a multidisciplinary background, years of experience interfacing with business, supporting scientists in their projects, and immersing herself in the music world. Now, she has a music degree from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a master's degree from Notre Dame du Namur University. She has served as an 
Administrator and Department Secretary at Lockheed Martin Palo Alto Research Laboratory. She's an executive editor in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, Administrator at California Institute for Physics and Astrophysics. And she's a music teacher of voice, piano, and guitar at her own company. And she sings opera. What a combo, you guys. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I don't know. Who wants to answer the first question? So I want to know your story. Bernard, you were into the scientific for so long. At what point did you say, okay, wait a minute, there's some spiritual stuff going on here? Well, I think I knew that all along because I was a, when I was just a kid, six years old, I knew I wanted to become uh, an astronomer. And I also knew I wanted to become a priest. So I had both these things going in my mind. And uh, they've actually been there as the, of equal importance pretty much for, for my life there on. So uh, I've, I've been exposed to both sides of the, of the world, the purely particle physics, uh, energy and, and whatnot side, and then the, uh, the spiritual side, which has to do with trying to understand what the universe is really all about and what, what makes it up and how we can uh, you know, profit from it. Right. And you talk in the book, you say, and I agree with this, you say in the, in the beginning was the logos, which is a Greek word that means the expression of thought, the word. And um, then God, the eternal consciousness spirit, created the universe with the energy of love. So in my mind, I hate to break it down to sim simplicity here in the beginning, but it's really about the word and, and our thoughts and how we feel. Well, Marcia handled that. Oh, the words. And, yeah. So, um, well, so the beginning there was the word, but before the word, should I just tell you our theory about how everything Oh, yeah. I want to hear it. Yeah. The audience wants to know. Uh, Okay. Uh, yeah. And I want to add one thing about Bernie's spiritual background. He's known since he was a little boy that he was going to be connected to um, spirituality and he always loved God. It's a special place in his heart. And when he was uh, young, he used to line his stuffed animals up on his bed and give them communion. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so awesome. <laughs> I thought that would be, that, that was a cute little story to add. Well, so, Bernard, uh, well, hold on a minute. Bernard, do, yeah, you, okay. do you think you remembered? I mean, because you talk about, you know, near-death experiences and stuff. Yeah. Little kids, no. Do you think you remembered being in heaven? Well, I remember my life. No, I, I don't have any memory of that. Now I'll turn it over to Marsha again because she does have it. I do. Oh, oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I'm kind of like you, Nancy. I'm very spiritually inclined and... When I was 16, I had a near-death experience, and it opened the veil. So I can see the other side. It's kind of like a crack. I mean, I get glimpses. I can't say I truly see everything, but I see little glimpses. And I could tell you about that in a while, but maybe we need to talk about the logos first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Otherwise, well, and, yeah. yeah. Logos, we'll okay. circle around. logos is the Greek word that means the expansion of thought. And this makes yeah. sense to me. Talk about it. Okay, well, so even before Logos, um, there is the Ein Sof, which is the um, realm that is identified in the Kabbalah. And so that's the all nothingness, where there's nothing at all. And out of the Ein Sof arose God. And um, the word was then used by God because God was lonely. You know, he wanted to have other things to do he wanted to have beings to interface with just being this great consciousness so as god arose from the eyes off he was this immense 
uh, non-dimensional consciousness. We're filling all of the, all of space. All of space. Yeah, and God, I need to also say, we use the term he because lack of the correct pronoun in the English language, but God is not a he, not a she, and not an it, <laughs> because God is not a human being. God is much grander than that. He's the vast cosmic consciousness. In Latin, we say he's a sui generis, you know, of his own sort. Of his unique, own sort. Unique. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And I, well, I want to interject really quick because I think um, it's whatever you resonate with. Because I resonate with the male. So I just think of, I think of God as a male and I have my conversations, but other people think of God as a female. So it's correct. It's whatever feels right to you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to be sure we explain that because I didn't want to offend anyone. Some people oh, no. are very sensitive. <laughs> they are. Well, some, yeah, some well you know, are, yeah. well, I'm going to tell you something, what I think right okay. off the bat. I am writing a book right now about angels. I communicate with Archangel um, Gabriel and he's the messenger angel. And, you know, as I'm writing, and I'm just going to say this because I don't care. I want to say God. And so I say God because I feel it's what's in the Bible. So it's what's proper because that's really our guideline to go through is God to say God. But, you know, our society has not has made it so people don't want to say that. They want to say source and they want to say energy. So I write God slash spirit slash source, but it's really a love energy. And why do we get hung up on that? You know what I mean? Uh, I think it has to do with the historical interpretation of what God was. God was this, uh, viewed as this desert patriarch with a gray beard sitting on a throne on top of clouds and angels floating around him and. Well, endlessly people, praising but, you yeah right but that's people did that right they did that's but that, i think that's why we get hung up on that because I it's know. historical yeah i know i know some but, people still think that <laughs> so well, and that's, but that's okay i'd rather that they think that than to go the other way that's true that's true yeah. So anyway, I, I do want to go back because I didn't get to finish about the creation of the universe. And so here we are. God is this big, vast cosmic consciousness who got lonely. So the first thing that he, she, it did was to create a zero point energy, which is a vast magnetic field that undergirds everything in the universe. And I can tell you more about that. Bernie has an experiment to tap it, which we could talk about later. Okay. Um, it's the Jovion, J-O-V-I-O-N company. We could go we'd go to the website or just tell you a little bit about it. But anyway, so sure. he created the zero point energy and out of the zero point energy, God used the logos, the word, the expression of thought. That's what it was, the expression of thought and created the big bang. So Bernie is... A, astrophysicist and he does believe in the big bang but not exactly the way many physicists do because bernie believes that the big bang arose from the zero point energy and god's expression of thought so then when the big bang happened all of the universe came about all the planets stars different universes all physical matter came out of the big bang and uh, then eventually evolved our sun, 
And then our planet came out of our sun. And we talk about that in the book. And then here we are, expressions of life. And we are uh, immortal beings who co-create our virtual reality along with the vast, great cosmic consciousness known as God. So that's where the, what the word is all about. <laughs> well, yeah, we are creators. We're little creators because we are made in the image of God from what, it, from what we've been told. But what I've learned and what you talk about in the book, it's really about down to the energy of our thoughts, words, and our feelings. Yes. So we completely resonate, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. If we could get everybody to realize that, just that one thing, I think the world would change. Well, definitely. Yeah. definitely. I have to tell you, I also communicate with Gabriel. <laughs> oh, do you really? Oh, honestly. Okay, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. You did too. Well, did. Yeah, Gabriel. Yeah. Gabriel helps me with my music. Gabriel loves music. Okay. Okay. I share my love through music. Right. Music's very powerful source of God. It's yes. uh, the power of music uh, directly is related to um, the way the universe is created, which is mathematical. Right. Should I tell you a little bit about the power of music? That's well, yeah, I'm because I, I am a true believer in it. I have a crystal healing bowl. I have the F sharp, the love vibration. Mm -hmm. And um, just today, to be straight with you, and I'll just, I always put myself out there. I was having trouble with my eye. And um, so I just Googled, and everybody can do this. So whatever you have ailing you, I just Googled sound for healing of the eye. Mm -hmm. And it comes up. And so as I'm getting ready for my show, I am listening to that vibration, that musical vibration, because music is healing. That's good. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. So expand so I, on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I write a little section about that because I'm a music teacher, as yeah. we already said. So um, anyway, uh, it goes back to the fact, is God a mathematician? And did God use mathematics as part of his way to create the universe? Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, many scientists and physicists have wondered, uh, why does it seem that the universe appears to be designed by a pure mathematician? How is it possible that mathematics fits so excellently with the objects of reality? And this goes back to Plato and Pythagoras, who believe that in addition to the physical world, we believe there is also a real world of mathematical forms. Mm -hmm. So examples are like uh, mathematical concepts like pi, the ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter or the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. Other examples are Newton's laws of motion and Einstein's theory of relativity. And then Johann Sebastian Bach tied music to mathematics through harmonics. He's the father of modern music. Mm -hmm. And he devised a system of tuning that is based on mathematics. In the system, there are 12 half-step uh, notes of the octave of the standard keyboard, and they're tuned in such a way that it's possible to play music in all major or minor keys without sounding perceptibly out of tune, because each step, half-step, is the 12th root of two. And then there are other 
elements of music, such as rhythm, time signature, they're also notational. And so this mathematical nature of music makes me wonder whether God uses music as a mathematical expression through sound. I believe so. I think you do too. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Well, it, and yeah, it's yeah. healing. It's healing. The vibe. It really comes back down to the vibration. It makes a whole lot of sense when you think about it in an energetic sort of way, because we are made of energy. And so it just makes sense that the music would heal us and is, yeah. uh, and helps our mood, you know, brings us joy. Yeah. So it has the greatest influence of, uh, on all of us, of anything abstract in the world, it really undergirds all of society. Yeah. Uh, and you, you hear it, uh, Everywhere, you know, from Muslim calls to prayer to classical symphonies to operas and masses and rock, pop and rap. And uh, there's a hymn that exclaims just this. That's a very famous hymn used in many church services. All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. So, again, this to me shows that Music, by its mathematical nature, is a universal expression for civilization and God, and it's all through sound. Right. I agree. So, you know, I, yeah. why, I want to tell you guys why, while we're talking about this. I had a gentleman on my show, oh gosh, about a month or so ago, and he was uh, into sound. And what he said to me really made sense, and you'll probably agree. He said, out of all the people who have the crystal bowls and the... And the toning forks, you know, that heal. He said, our voice is the best healer for all of us, our own voice. And oh. it's been, yes. And it's been proven, you know, when they put cancer patients and they do the crystal bolts and they do the toning forks, they said that they've experimented with this and it's their voice that has been the most healing. That's why I like to sing. <laughs> yes. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and opera is the highest form yes. of music, really, yes. because it includes not just the music, but the drama and the sets and the action and it's all, the lyrics. I mean, it's all combined together. And dance, too. Dance, yeah. It's all in yeah. opera. Yeah. Yes. All in yeah. opera. I love this. Well, let's talk a, a few things uh, uh, in the book. You talk about consciousness. You talk about reincarnation, past lives. You kind of go through the whole, um, you know, you give a lot of information, um, which I think a lot of people are aware of. You know, there's been a lot of case studies, a lot of children who've claimed to remember past lives. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? The reincarnation? Sure. Do you want to say anything, Bernie? Or uh, you going to let me? You're doing well on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just want to uh, insert that Bernie has Parkinson's. Okay. So it's a little more difficult for him to speak. I, it, it was a blessing for me in disguise because he um, had been writing on this book, The Miracle of Our Universe, for about five years. And it was just so difficult for him to type and get all of his thoughts in order and, you know, integrated. Mm -hmm. So one day he came to me, I'm a very busy person too. He came to me, he said, Marcia, would you please help me with this book? Help me finish it? Because um, 
you know, it's really important to me and I'm having problems with it and I'll let you put your name on it if you help me. And I went, uh, okay. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful book. I will say that because you go through, uh, you know, there's all the scientific um, information that's really fabulous about our universe and about God. But there's also, you know, you talk about, um, like I just said, the near-death experiences and reincarnation and that type of thing. So um, what would you like to tell the audience? Okay, well, so both near-death experiences and reincarnation uh, provide evidence that the, our God model is real. And I want to just emphasize that our our thoughts about God are a model. We don't claim that it's ab the absolute truth, but it's a good way of looking at things. Right. And that's important to Bernie as a scientist. He wants to emphasize it's a model. The model is used all the time in scientific research, and you try to come closer and closer to the, what you hope is the truth, but really this uh, acquisition of, of information and, and uh, past, well, past lives is a really important thing to, to take seriously in your life. Right. Yeah, and so reincarnation and near-death experiences provide evidence that we're not just a chemical evolution of molecules, where some mainstream physicists and scientists believe, mm -hmm. but actually that we are immortal spirits and we're ever seeking to improve ourselves. Right. So, yeah, in the case of near-death experiences, observers give us reports of the afterlife that point to the fact that there is a heaven experience and our spirits live on in a new form or body. So I have my near-death experience. And then we have Abe and Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven, which is an amazing book. Yes. Because it started out, he was a skeptical neurosurgeon who uh, had a very, very serious illness, got infected by, it was, some sort of meningitis. Um, I don't know. It was a viral infection. Yeah. yeah. And he actually, they thought he was dead. I mean, he went into a really deep coma, but in reality, inside him, he went through this enormous evolution of what happens after the body passes to the other side. He saw the whole other side of the veil called death. I mean, he started out living in the mud as an earthworm and then he progressed and then. He went to this other more beautiful kind of tropical area and he saw butterflies and waterfalls and stuff like that. And then he actually traveled to the core of God. It was a deep, velvety, beautiful feeling. And he uh, came back to share all that with us. Yes. And he was no longer skeptical, of course. <laughs> Not after that. Well, I, I think he was out. Wasn't he out for like eight days and they didn't think he was going to wake up? And then he just woke up and told everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Eight, eight yeah. So he could no longer explain away what happened to him that he knew for sure that he was more than chemicals. <laughs> so, yeah, he said that he found out that the brain is more a prison from which our conscious awareness can be liberated when we, uh, have our physical death and, and we actually have a really robust life that evolves after our spirit passes from our physical incarnation here um so let's see so this also leads us to the foundational principle of our god model an infinite and eternal consciousness that constructs what we perceive as reality uh there are lots of other uh 
there is lots of other evidence of reincarnation uh, that was written up by psychiatrist Professor Ian Stevenson from the University of Virginia. And he was known for his research in cases he considered suggestive of reincarnation. Notice he said suggestive because he was being cautious as a scientist. Right, right, right. Yeah, after studying 3,000 cases of children who claimed to remember past lives, he concluded himself that emotion, memories, and even physical bodily features could be transferred from one life to another. And I have to add that we were really close friends with him. Oh, were uh, you? Yeah, yeah he, so we studied hung like, out with him. Yeah, he studied Pardon? like 3,000 cases of children who claimed to yeah. remember their past lives. And mm -hmm. he actually, he actually documented, um, he went and checked this stuff out. And these guys he did. He did indeed, yeah. yeah. And found out yeah. that these kids were for real. And, you know, that should really make us all realize that we're just keep, we keep coming here and doing this until we evolve. Isn't that pretty much yeah. what, what his uh, synopsis was? It was, and, and I can testify that we were witnesses to his research because we, um, he was co-founder of the Society for Scientific Exploration, right. which Bernie and I managed the journal. So I had to interface with him often and I got to get little glimpses into his research and we published several really amazing papers. One was about uh, evidence yes. of reincarnation yes. through birthmarks on the reborn person. Right. Like, you, uh, will you share some of that with the audience? Do you mind? Yeah. So there is a, pardon me. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just tell you about the birthmark thing and then uh, we'll talk about um, James Leninger. So anyway, there's a young boy who recalled the life of someone who had been shot. So Ian Stevenson went and interviewed the sister of the boy that had been shot and she told him that her brother, the deceased, had shot himself in the throat. Then the young boy who had the memories, Stevenson went to see him and interview him, and he showed Stevenson a birthmark on his throat. So there was a birthmark from where he remembered that he had been shot. So Stevenson, suspecting that maybe there was also a birthmark on the top of his head where the bullet had exited, he took a look and yes, indeed, there was a birthmark there. So that's pretty phenomenal right there. So the birthmark on top of his head and the one uh, under his, on his throat proves that there was some sort of gunshot that went through there. Yeah, I have a quick, quick, quick question. Yeah. When he was doing this research, yeah. Did he ever talk about why we come back with those marks? Why we reincarnate uh, with those marks? I don't think he ever part he of ever, our, Go ahead. I don't think he ever said anything that pointed to a, a purpose. Okay. Because he was a scientist and he wanted to stay away from that stuff. He wanted to just keep it. Uh, nothing but the facts, ma'am. He wanted to present the evidence and let everybody else come to the conclusion. <laughs> I see. I see. I, but but I think I think his conclusion was that it's very strong evidence that you know people can be reborn showing you know marks of what happened to them in a past life. Um, I wanted to tell you about James Leninger because this is really a more powerful story. Um, so uh, Dr. James Tucker was a protege of Ian Stevenson who took over at the University of Virginia. And he interviewed this young boy, James Leninger. 
uh, who at the age of two or three started remembering the past life of a, a, an American pilot, James Houston, who had been shot down by World War II Japanese in the Pacific Ocean. These memories included details of a, an American aircraft carrier, the first and last names of a friend on the ship, the location of the attack that killed him, and the nature of the hit that brought down his plane. All details were later confirmed to be accurate. He even met his old friend when he had been James Houston uh, in a reunion from the sailors who'd been on the aircraft carrier. The friend confirmed that Leninger's memories of Houston were correct. No, so this is a pretty powerful example. I think that's the most powerful example we came across. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So James Leninger remembering being James Houston. And I, if you Google it, you can read all about it. It's amazing. Yeah. And, it's in here. and all of that is in here. All these stories that you're telling us are in this book. Yes. And there's my near death experience. Would you do we have time to talk about yes, it? Or? I want to yeah. hear your near. Yes, tell us. It's, uh, always, okay. it's always interesting to hear somebody's um, actual account. Yes. Okay. Well, when I was 16 years old, I was vacationing with my family and another family uh, at a beach that was south of Santa Cruz okay. called Rio del Mar. And I was out jumping in the waves, body surfing with. Uh, the boys from the other family and my sister and we were just having a great time and I've always loved to swim so I was being way too trusting of the ocean because it was around uh, Easter break mm. when currents and uh, climate can be volatile so anyway there I was jumping in the waves and all of a sudden this huge wave crashed over me and pulled me sucked me under and I could not put my feet on the ground I was terrified. Uh, fortunately, I'm a good swimmer, so I was able to navigate through this, but I got sucked out to sea. I mean, way out, about a quarter of a mile. And uh, as I was being pulled out, I saw the people on the shore getting smaller and smaller till they mm -hmm. were like little ants. And it was very, very scary, as you can imagine. I just kept swimming because I knew how to swim. But pretty soon, this other experience came upon me there was this beautiful kind of violet purple white light glow halo that came all around me and um, I heard voices and I saw images and as I continued to experience I realized they were my ancestors like my grandmother, my grandfather, and going back through generations, it seemed, because I can't verify all that, but it seemed like it was this whole lineage of ancestors that came to rescue me from the other side. Right. There I was hanging between life and death, but getting a huge glimpse of the veil beyond the death. And they told me, Marsha, it's not time for you to die right now. You have a lot to do in your life. So we're here to help you. So all you have to do, relax, and we'll keep you afloat. And they I, join a I network know. of hands mm -hmm. under me. Oh, my God. And it, it was really, really beautiful. So it was just like I was being kept afloat by love, as we talked about earlier. 
And you know what the strangest thing was, I didn't even have to swim anymore. All I had to do is just lie yeah. on my back, put my arms out. He said, help will come for you. And it did in the form of a surfer on his surfboard. Oh, no way. I was going to say, was it a boat? But it was a surfer. Oh, my God. A surfer. Yeah. He uh, knew how to navigate the ocean currents. He was very experienced. So he cut across the current, came over and got me, pulled me onto a surfboard. I was pretty cold by then. I was suffering from hypothermia, I think. And um, he cut across the current circled around and took me back to shore and in the meantime my dad had come to rescue me and he got pulled out the opposite direction on an inner tube and a second surfer came and picked him up so we were rescued it took me about oh, i don't know i had to soak in a hot bath for close to an hour before i could really you know calm down because i was shaking all over from head to toe but i knew beyond a doubt you know, there is another side. I saw it. I felt it. I felt the love. And it was really beautiful. And that opened the veil for me to experience other past life memories. Something like you. So I was, uh, when I was 19, I had a really high temperature. And I actually went into this yogic trance, which I didn't know anything about at the time. And I could kind of remember it was something like 32 past lives I remembered, although I oh can't God. remember all of them. It's just oh like that God. number six in my mind, but I remember some prominent ones. All I, know, actually all I know is I don't want to come back again. What do you think? <laughs> I you don't come back know. Again? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's pretty tough, isn't it? Life it is, is not easy. <laughs> It's not easy, but if you see the other side, it does make it easier in a way because you know that there's beauty awaiting you and you know that while you're here, you're here to grow and learn, overcome negative karma, hopefully gather some positive karma, <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, and it makes you not afraid to die. It makes you, yeah. to, in my mind... You know, I can remember being a little kid and thinking, I don't want to get old. I, want, I don't want to die. But mm -hmm. now then you grow older and then you you have experiences like you're talking about, Marsha. And, you know, you start to realize that it's a it's a good thing, not a horrible thing. We've really we don't handle death very well here. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Even even with what I know, I mean, I still have problems. I cry a lot. Aww. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that with us. You know, I want to, there was a couple of things I wanted to ask about. There's so much information. First of all, let me just say in this book, it's a small book, but there's a lot of information in here. Um, one thing that I wanted to understand is, and I don't know, Bernard, if you can give me some information on this. You talk dark, you talk about dark energy that was discovered in 1998. You also talk about the Akashic field. A lot of people can read their Akashic records, but I wondered if you would kind of expand upon some of that so I can understand a little bit more about um, the universe, because they said it was Hubble always saw it expanding and then they saw this dark energy. Can you kind of give the audience an overview? I don't want you to give your whole book away, but a little bit about that. Yeah. All right. Well, the, uh, talk about that. I don't know about dark energy. <laughs> dark energy wasn't even found about 
uh, 20 years ago. And um, it's totally unexpected because we knew that uh, that the universe is expanding. It's been a common knowledge in, in astrophysics for, for decades. So uh, we, know, we know that the space is, is being pushed out and that uh, that affects the, uh, the size of the universe. Now, it turns out that no one expected there to be dark energy because dark energy has the exact opposite effect on things as does as does a dark dark matter. So the uh, view from the point of view of dark matter was that something very odd is happening to make the universe not just accelerate, not just expand, but accelerate. So this is still a big mystery in astrophysics. What is the stuff that's causing the universe to accelerate? Dark energy, or dark, you're not sure? No, we call it dark energy, but that's only that's only an English word. I mean, it's a but word that's all they know. But that's all they know. Yeah. Now you also talk about the akashic records because uh, the ancient concept of the akashic field, and uh, there's a lot of people. I've had people on my show who can access. I think a lot of people can ask, access their records. I just don't understand the correlation between the akashic field and the akashic records. Can you kind of explain that? I guess I, I can't really say too much about that because I don't really know what the, what the dark energy is, and uh, it's it's quite a mystery. Um, so uh, we need to wait a few more years until the results come in from the latest NASA satellites that have been launched that uh, are investigating exactly these sorts of problems. Okay. So um, I put the, the reference to dark to um from um, excuse me um, to the uh, I'm talking about the uh, Akashic Akashic records. Yeah. yeah, well, the Akashic records it's um it's been seen by many psychics and and right. we believe in its existence. Now you really had it's problems. a hall of records. Right, <laughs> I know that. I know that. But yeah. what is the Akashic field? Uh, Irvin Laszlo draws a comparison between the ancient concept of the Akashic field and the zero point field. And you talk about that in the book. And I I've had a lot of people on the show who read the Akashic records, but what is the Akashic field? Is that something energetically that Aaron Laszlo picked up on? Or what's the correlation, I guess, is what I was looking yeah, at. There, there's not really a good correlation established yet. I, I would okay. be lying if I said to you, well, we understand the, the Akashic okay. field and the Akashic records. We okay. don't. I mean, I think there's a good chance that it may be something totally different that we were observing when we okay. do make measurements of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, energy. Okay. So uh, Yeah, Bernie did talk about it because, I mean, yeah, uh, Irvin Laszlo does believe in the zero point field. So, right, right. and in that way, he it resonates with what we're doing. But Bernie has not really researched the Akashic okay. field. Okay, I was just yeah. curious because I've had so many people, you know, who can read the records, and I think everybody could read the records if you meditate long enough. I want to also. Um, get your take on you i wrote down seth lloyd contends that the universe itself is one big quantum computer and it's running a cosmic program that produces what we see all around us because you say and a lot of people say that we're in the matrix you know can you yes. address, yeah can you address that a little bit yeah i can we right now have a, uh, a vision of the universe and my universe i mean everything from, from stars and galaxies to maybe we see here in the laboratory um, so, um, the, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. do you, what are you trying to express? The computer, well, how, how, oh, how that, this that, is. That's, uh, exactly, exactly. Um, we, we, 
we assume that everything is divided into two different kinds of things. One is the physical stuff, and the other is maybe some some psychic, uh, the worldly uh, spiritual knowledge. Right. And so. You want to know about the virtual reality, right? Yeah. Well, what I see, I always yeah. thought, and I just want to know your thoughts on it. I always feel like um, maybe we this is a computer program that's running right now, and we are <laughs> the avatars, you know, in it. So <laughs> the point I wanted to make here was that uh, we, if, if if the universe is taken to be a, a, a cosmic energy field, then we don't have we don't have two different kinds of reality anymore, uh, energetic fields and. Um, and uh, uh, physical fields, who, who needs two? I mean, if we explain the universe using only one thing, and that is that one thing is God, and that God is the Akashic energy, is the Akashic purpose, then we simplify things. And, uh, well, you know, scientists are supposed to say, well, you know, we're leaving that, that psychic stuff to you, uh, but there really is, if you look deeply enough, no more, no more positive information about that, uh, about the nature of that stuff, than there is about the nature of physical reality. It's just that we're used to thinking these two different kinds of real, and uh, then they're not necessarily that way at all. We're much better off coming to uh, accept one form of existence, uh, which we talk about in the book, versus, you know, two. So I wanted to emphasize upon, you were asking me about the simulation hypothesis. So this gives, goes back to a basic concept of physics that has changed. Because originally, the atom was considered to be a miniature solar system with electrons orbiting a nucleus. This is what I was taught in school, grade school. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so now it's viewed more abstractly after the implementation, strong implementation of quantum physics as the nucleus being surrounded by electrons that form a cloud of probability. Ah. So it's not possible really to know where an electron is going to be at any point of time. So the whole idea of where the electron will be as it orbits in some fashion around a nucleus is that you can only just determine a cloud of, could it be at this point above on the upper left side, could it be on the lower point on the lower right side, you know, it's just a cloud. So this kind of shows that we're in a virtual reality because there's a consciousness that determines most likely where that electron is going to be at any point in time. When you sit in your favorite armchair, you're really being supported by clouds of probability. And probabilities are numbers that govern physics in our world. So we developed the idea in our book that a matter-based universe can be replaced by a number-based universe. And this leads us to the likelihood that reality is a simulation. Um, let's see. Yeah. So Heisenberg saw atoms and elementary particles as themselves as potentialities rather than things or facts. So the physical world is not really just a solid fact. It's, it seems solid to us as we touch it, but there are all these clouds of probability around it. Because we're creating, I don't want to interrupt you, but what yeah. I get from this is because it because the probability is what are we going to create because we have free will we have choice yes exactly that's in fact yeah. the reason we are here the yeah. reason for this whole existence of a universe and and sentient beings like us and maybe aliens elsewhere is that um 
this is something that the consciousness can, can can create and bring to bring to life. And so that's a, a much better way, in my view, of viewing what the universe consists of than to try to um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a better way to look at things. Right. Well, and you talk about the God model in your at the end of the book, and I just really yeah. quick, you know, I wanted to read a couple things uh, from it that I underlined. One is heaven is our spiritual home where we reside between lives. And mm -hmm. I believe, and I don't know what you believe, but I liked what you said. You said there's no literal hell. And I agree with you. Hell is rather the consequence of our free will action, which is perceived in the afterlife. I think it's whatever you imagine it to be just like whatever we imagine God to look like. Right. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we all are, I believe we all are, uh, uh, little beings that came about from from God, from God, to do yeah. well to experience what a physical universe, an apparently physical universe, yeah. has to offer. And I sometimes make the story about God. If God wanted to, to ski down a mountain, He created some great ski resorts, and having made them, like to ski down a you know. Well, you can't do that as God. I mean, God is not designed to ski down a mountain. He's a spirit, and uh, that would be a major problem. So what God has done is to uh, create little bits of him, some of whom will be skiers, and that way God can understand and enjoy what it is that he's created. It's actually a rather simple interpretation of the why of all of this uh, reincarnation and so on. Because if you you uh, came back to a second life or a third life or a fourth life or whatever, and you knew that it was all just a kind of a cosmic game like this, you might not take it very seriously. You might live a very different life than you would you had never known all these things. Or people would commit suicides because they wouldn't want to do it and start over. Right. Yeah, but the problem the problem with suicide is that you have to come back and relearn the same lesson. I've heard that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've heard that. So you know, suicide doesn't solve anything. It makes no, it worse. <laughs> absolutely. You know, um, it just really feels like, and I just want to say this, and I want to ask you both, you know, I have a really close connection with God. And um, whether you say it's a man or a woman or energy or whatever it is, all I know is that my connection with the divine has changed my life in the fact that I feel loved and I'm not afraid and mm. I feel supported and um, I'm learning every day and I'm grateful to learn and I wonder what you guys feel about God. What is your connection? Because I think it's really important that everybody have a relationship with the mm -hmm. You want to talk yeah. about that? Uh, well, my connection with God is very strong. I pray all the time mm -hmm. and I get guidance all the time. And uh, I talk to my guides. They talk to me. They ring in my ears and let me know when I need to know something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, I interface with Gabriel and St. Michael. And um, I also, myself, I'm a Huna teacher. Oh. I, um, so that deals, it's a Hawaiian philosophy dealing with three levels of consciousness. I'm aware. I'm aware. Uh, I yeah. Okay. The, what the is Uhani. it? The Uhani is the conscious self. Yeah. The unihipili is the subconscious, which is really powerful, and it's really important to interface with it and to love yourself, or things go haywire. <laughs> and then the aumakua is your higher consciousness, which connects to other um, higher beings 
on other planes of reality and it guides me and it guides everyone. We all have those three levels. So I experienced God through that many different ways, but I, uh, it's just God to me is a feeling of love. And the way I have the most strongest experience when I experienced God was uh, when I had an awakening of the heart with this um, really wonderful, uh, I guess you'd call her uh, a, a guru. She's kind of a guru of sort, although she doesn't say she is. Her name is Gangaji. And she holds satsangs up here in Northern California. And when I first told her about her, we decided, okay, let's go to this satsang. You have to sit on the floor, bring cushions. There are some chairs, but you're supposed to go and meditate. And you're supposed to get messages from Gagaji, or you can go up and have dialogue with her. So anyway, Gagaji walked into the room. And she's a, I guess you call it a transponder. She sends out love and energy. She's 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 capable of doing that. So she looked right into my eyes. I'd never even talked with her before. She looked right into my eyes. And all of a sudden, it was like this nuclear bomb of love just exploded inside me. And um, I closed my eyes and I saw swirling purples and blues going out the top of my head, the highest chakra. And I felt love all around me, all inside my body. My heart started palpitating with love. And it was this sweet, wonderful feeling. And tears came down my cheeks. And I looked around the room and I saw God. So that's, that's how I experienced God. I saw God. I saw there these little, it's like this master web of light light connections that connect all human beings together. Mm-hmm. And everyone in that room was resonating with Gangaji. So it was absolute love and it was beauty. And I could see God present in everybody in that room and in myself. So that, that was the, my most profound experience. That changed of God. You. Yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah. And Bernie, what do you, how do you experience God? Well, that's just tough for me because I'm, uh, I'm into the, uh, investigate the, the world in a in a deep but academically legitimate way and I, I haven't I haven't ever seen God as you have um, I, I know he's there and uh, I think he listens to my prayers which I do pray uh, we but, both pray together yeah but, um, I unfortunately don't have the experiential side of things but if I, if I had if I had not had them and and I might have been a busier scientist I would have made a made more discoveries perhaps but but anyway i guess i'm grateful for the life i have but it's not the uh the uh, direct access that, that you and marcia seem to have yeah but well, he he experiences god he wrote all about god in this book god say, channel well, i guess that's true right, I did, right I through this book that's how you experience well, god and i want to say that yeah. you know you guys and 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 bernard i just want to tell you that i tell the audience every day and you can do it too all you do is bring in that light from above and just visualize Mm -hmm. it coming in your crown chakra and down through your body. And that light, that love, if you just take five minutes in the morning, it's like plugging in. It's like (laughs) you're connecting to the divine. If you just plug in and you receive that energy, it's healing and it's calming 
And um, that's where you can bring the love right into your heart. And that's what Hmm. I think, you know, as you were talking, um, Marsha, I just want to say that was such a beautiful experience you shared with us, because I think, I believe that we're all trying to get to where you're talking about where the love is in our hearts. And if we could all feel that love and feel the, if we could see the little bit of God in every one of us, which there is a little bit, a spark of God in one of us, we wouldn't be so quick to have war or be nasty to people Mm -hmm. or, or speak ill will against others. You know, it's really about love and the vibration of love in my mind. What do you think guys? I agree. And I think that's the purpose of your podcast, Nancy, (laughs) is to counteract the the darkness that's going on on our planet right now. We have to, as light workers, we have to put our light out there. We have to. It's sometimes challenging, but it's really vital, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't get to tell you. Do we have a moment? I wanted to tell you about the zero point field. Okay. (laughs) So this is important because I spoke earlier about how God created logos and created everything using the zero point energy. So what it is, it's a vast field of electromagnetic energy. And it's also known as the quantum vacuum field, the QVF. Mm -hmm. This field represents the underlying energy that is everywhere in the universe, even where there is nothing but vacuum. The ZPE is completely composed of a combination of every frequency or wavelength that exists. Some are long and others short. It's perfectly random. It's an infinite source of energy that was already known to Einstein and Max Planck. And Bernie and our company Jovion, J-O-V-I-O-N, believes that the ZPF can be tapped in a way that would provide humanity with an endless supply of totally clean energy without violating the second law of thermodynamics. Our process has nothing to do with heat. Thermodynamics has to do with heat transfer. Our process is electromagnetic. There's a Casimir force that happens when two parallel metal plates are pushed together by an overpressure of the ZPE from the outside of the plates. The Casimir cavity can be created that takes advantage of this force Bernie believes this, and also his co-investigator, Garrett Modell. The ZPF can be manipulated through the use of nano-sized Casimir cavities by squeezing out photon energy. Electron orbitals of an atom spiral down inside the cavity and photons are emitted. Our process then sends the photons through a photovoltaic cell and electricity will then be generated. So the ZPF acts as a kind of catalyst. This could be done with what we, the Jovian Corporation, has called the Casimir Generator, which is already patented. I came up with a name, by the way, Casimir Generator. It's kind of catchy. Say, hey, have you got your little CG? Let's (laughs) just plug our device in and everything will run. It's portable. So wait a minute. So, for everything. So, so hold on. <laughs> so in layman's terms, you're bringing in new energy is what you're doing. No, we're squeezing off energy that's already there. That's so what, what you're taking it from. Explain. explain. Yeah. I don't. I I want to understand, and I want the audience to understand. What is the What's the idea to obtain 
clean energy to what is it? Okay, so inside a casimir cavity, uh, it's a very, very narrow space. This was invented by a Dutch physicist, Henrik Casimir. Henrik Casimir. Henrik Casimir, yes. Okay. You have to get it down to the nano level. Previously, this was not possible until nanotechnology was developed, so it's now possible. Bernie had this idea at the beginnings of nanotechnology, but we didn't have the devices to use to get the plates close enough together. So when the plates get close enough together, remember I said the zero point energy has long and short wavelengths? Right. What happens, it prevents the longer wavelengths from getting inside it because the space is too narrow. Okay. So what happens is then the space inside the cavity becomes less than zero. This has also been a criticism in the past because you can't get energy out of zero. Well, it comes less than zero inside a Casimir cavity. In reference to the universal yeah, in, underlying force. Yeah, and so because it's less than zero, the atoms get, that are inside the Casimir cavity get squeezed and the photons get squeezed off. They go pop and they're released. Photons are little units of light. And that's what we use in solar technology, light to create electricity. So these little photons are gonna be harvested out of the Casimir cavity and they're gonna go into a photovoltaic cell by the use of gases. And uh, the gases we think we might use is a xenon, but it could be, what are some of the other gases? Neon, argon, krypton. Neon, argon, krypton. Does it give us free energy? Well, no, it's not free. It's squeezing off the photons that are already around atoms. That's right. <laughs> so what's the purpose? What's the purpose of it? Well, you don't have to. We'll be free of petroleum oil. Okay. <laughs> okay. It will create electricity off the photons. Okay. Yeah, the, the zero point field is, is literally literally everywhere inside or everything outside everything. Okay. And that's not disputed by physicists. What okay. they do dispute is whether you can get, take, take some of the energy and then release it. As they say, well, that violates the second law of thermodynamics. You're getting something from nothing. And the answer is, yeah, you are kind of getting something from nothing because uh, it's in a sense similar to the uh, astrophysical um, uh, energy that we talked about earlier in the in the program. And so about the zero point oh dark yeah, energy. If, yeah. if there is enough uh, this dark energy to make galaxies expand. Well, uh, this is amount of energy would have a very good uh, possibility of making energy appear at any place we have a device set up. I understand. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I want I want to emphasize that there is a currently uh, mm -hmm. there are current scientists or semi scientists who are trying to use free energy, and that's something different. We're not even sure what it is. I I think they're just playing around. <laughs> <laughs> because right. one of our co-investigators, George Hathaway, says he's tested just about every device that people have sent to him, and none of them work. He believes that our experiment, our, our device, is the only one that has possibilities. But we still have to develop a prototype. All right, so you're, mean, still all in the, you're still in the uh, experimental, well, you're through the experimental stage, but now you're getting ready to put a prototype together. Well, we need, we need, we, yeah, we need to, no, we need funding and we yeah. need help. If anybody listening to your program okay. is interested in what we're doing, 
Okay. They should go to our website. It's www.jovion.com and you can read all about us. Cool. So yeah, no, we're just, we, we've had a number of experiments that seem that it's promising, but we we're only using surrogate Casimir cavities. We need to find the correct and to build and fund the correct size Casimir cavity so we can prove without a doubt that we're actually gathering energy off the photons that are being squeezed off inside Casimir cavities. And we found a company in, in Goleta just recently, last week, called Atomica. And they think that they could build us the Casimir cavity that we need. So it's really important we get the funding. I love it. I love it. Well, if yeah. there's anybody out there who wants to help, hey, listen, we got to yeah. get out of here for today. We've been here yeah. over an hour, you guys. This is an amazing book. Um, Bernard and Marcia, thank you for putting it together. It's called The Miracle of Our Universe. It's a new view of consciousness, God, science, and reality. And you guys can pick this up. I'm sure it's at Amazon, yes? It is, it is yeah. on Amazon. And our website, themiracleofouruniverse.com, all spelled out. You all can right. read about it. Can I say one last thing about yes. how, to get your guaranteed, how do you get your guaranteed ticket to heaven? These are my special thoughts. Oh, okay. Okay. We all have a guaranteed ticket to heaven because each and every one of us is a spark of God and we're part of him. The alternative would be hell, which does not exist because God would not condemn a spark of himself to hell. Uh, so how do you experience heaven while you're on earth? That's important. Your guaranteed ticket. It's important to be in a state of gratitude because this opens your mind for optimism, love, and God's still small voice. And it can be very quiet. The good news is that anyone, even you, can achieve this if you take the time to still your mind, which often hops from thought to thought like a monkey. (laughs) It takes a lot of practice. But we encourage all of you to experience God and the love he has for his children and get your guaranteed ticket to heaven as a human being on earth. If everyone makes the effort to do this, dialoguing directly with God on a daily basis, our world would be catapulted to a higher level of awareness and the human race would become ever more enlightened and there would be peace on earth instead of war. There you go. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you. I wish you, I wish you the best on developing this. We do need to have um some new technology and it's about time. And we and God provided everything for us. So I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure it just has to be put together. But um, we're gonna get out of here for today. Um, thanks again for coming on. The book is called The Miracle of Our Universe. You guys, uh if you want to pick up my new book, Wake Up, the Universe is Speaking to You, you can get it on Amazon. I will be speaking in LA. I'll be doing a workshop, you guys. Come and see me 2024 in February. And I'll be teaching spiritual law and I will be teaching angel communication. If you want an angel reading, go to my website, nancyyearout.com, and you can book your date and time. I hope everybody has a fabulous Halloween. Be safe out there and have fun. Everyone take care and God bless.